スキャンケチ Yes, so I, was, I wasn't here for last week's episode.、Um, not last week's episode, we're doing bi weekly. So I wasn't here for the t- last episode、um, due to all these commitments. And now Scott's not going to be here for three episodes. That's what we've estimated, three episodes. So what we're going to do is we're going to do the Scott Free trilogy. And you are the first, first in, the, in, in this trilogy.、Um, what do you think of the first installments of trilogies? Usually the best. Usually the best. Well, they come, they come from a time where, like, like, before like, it was franchise and everything was supposed to have a sequel. It was like, let's just see what sticks at the wall. Oh, that's stuck on the wall. Let's do another sequel. So, usually the first one stands alone as a、yeah. solid one. And they kind of they have an ending rather than being like an open thing.、Hmm. So, we've got to have a, a strong ending here. What's a good example of the first one being the best in the trilogy?、Uh, Like Pirates of the Caribbean. Pirates of the Caribbean. Does it count as a trilogy still? There's a definitive,、oh, yeah. isn't it? I mean,、yeah. I guess the, the thing about the Pirates of the Caribbean, the first three films, is they do have their sort of own story. Yeah, and then after that, it becomes just Jack Sparrow movies. It's like a totally different、hmm. thing. So I guess it, like, it was a trilogy. But then again, it's stuff like the Indiana Jones films.、It's、yeah, like, but then there's four of them now. Yeah, there's four of them. But you, like, there's Star Wars films. It's God knows how many now. <laughs>、um, but like, they still kind of describe them as like, the original trilogy, the prequel trilogy, and the new trilogy. Because I guess the whole, prob- the whole thing is like.、Um... But then the best, the best Star Wars film in the first trilogy, the original trilogy, is the middle one. You. Empire、Ooh. Strikes Back is by far the best Star Wars yeah, film. Yeah, it is. So that's.、Yeah. But you, you're in the first part of this. So, you, so got... I should be defending the first one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't understand. I take it back. In this analogy, you're, you're the new hope. You're the new hope of this podcast,、uh, Scott Free Trilogy.、Um, I'll start us off. I have an intro. Have you listened to the podcast before? I bet you're the biggest fan in the world.、Aren't? I've listened to it. Yeah. I feel like I don't need to listen to it that often because I just have these conversations with you and Scott anyway.、Oh, right. So、okay. I've always, like, half the time I see the films with Scott and then he tells me all the stuff. And then、yeah. I listen to it and I'm like, I've heard this before. All right, so you don't need to, because、uh, you know us. Because I'm a bad friend. <laughs> <laughs> well,、um, if you do, I do an intro.、Uh, Scott, tried,、uh, Scott did it last time, he did a great job of it.、Um, Scott did the last episode, which I wasn't in, with Jamie Boyle. Jamie Boyle did a great job filling in. Thank you, Jamie Boyle.、Uh, it was on Gremlins 2. Have you seen Gremlins 2? No. Neither have I. So <laughs> we've got a little to say about Gremlins 2. Well, I have a lot more to say about it since I heard the,、um, the episode on it. But you it, still、so. haven't seen it? No, I still haven't seen it. it, it I, I, know, I kind of know the, sort of the, the iconicness of Gremlins 2, that it's like a sort of parody of the first one. Yeah. And、uh, yeah, and after Jamie was talking about it on last week's episode, I was like, yeah, let's. I'd definitely give it a watch. I would definitely. It's how it's fun. The first one first?、Have、oh, you have you not seen the first one? I don't think so. I've seen the first one. The first one's good. I feel like that's the kind of movie that you've seen even though you haven't seen it because、uh, you know everything about it.、Uh, definitely. But like, it's worth a watch. It's kind of. The first one's just kind of. Yeah, it's just one a, of those movies. Yeah, it's one of those kind of. Like, it's very. It's very gremlins. Like, it's almost. It's be hard. Yeah, like you feel、uh, like. Yeah, you watch it and you're just like, yep, I've seen all this gremlins, before. Yeah.、Uh, Um, as Gremlins 2 is like off the wall.、Um, yeah.、Uh, so we do an introduction. So I'll, I'll do it for you. Okay. okay. Are you ready?、I'm、Are you、excited. ready? <laughs> Hold on to your hat, Michael Kelly, and what hell of a hat.、Uh, what's up, people of Peopleton? Welcome to Second Opinion Movie Podcast.、Uh, I'm your host, Danny Jones, and with me, not Scott Morrison, Michael Kelly. Hello. Hi, Michael Kelly. You,、uh, we. Traditionally, traditionally, get the guest to、um, pick the film. If anyone's listened to the episode, they'll know by the title of the episode what it is. But do you want to tell us what are your film, the film you picked?、Uh, Lost River. Lost River,、um, which is the 2014. I did Google earlier.、Yeah. I can't remember. <laughs> 2014 film、uh, director debut of Ryan Gosling. And he、uh, wrote it. Huh? And he wrote it, and he wrote it as well.、Um, starring. Who's the main guy in it? Ian de Kaystecker. Ian... 
Uh, is he no way for anybody else? I feel like I can't. He's in uh, Agents of Shield. Oh, Marvel is he? Show. Yeah. I don't really watch Agents of Shield. I watched the first season. He's like he plays like a nerdy Scottish scientist. I think he's actually Scottish. Oh, is he? Yeah. That's cool. Hometown or British? Um, I don't know. I watched the first couple of episodes of Agents of Shield and was really bored. Yeah. Apparently, it gets really good after the. First yeah, I've season. heard that, but like, it should just be good from the start. <laughs> yeah. I said that's so unfair. There's so many TV shows that like start don't off start terrible. off yeah. good. Um, you have to like, get into it. Yeah. Like something like The Simpsons is like the first season hasn't got the impact that like it does when it's at its peak. So like there is so many shows that. But then most shows get better as they go on. I sometimes you watch that, especially in like like cause obviously shows have to be character focused, and like the first few episodes you find are so different character wise because they yeah. kind of the actors and the writers kind of find out. Like who the character is, like by the like second season, and even you, you don't know who the characters are. So sometimes when you go back and watch a show after you've watched it all again, like if you watched it through once, then go back to the beginning, you're like, oh, I feel like it's better now yeah. because you know the characters. Yeah, yeah. Whereas when you first watch it, you're like, so who, I, who I are don't... all these people? <laughs> exactly. I don't blame Agents of Shield for that. Um, I watched the Daredevil series, and although they're they're all right, they're just far too long. You think? I, I really think, like the Daredevil show. I like the Daredevil show. I like Jessica Jones. I didn't watch the other two. They just they all drag. I feel like mm, they I didn't would like be Jessica Jones after like the halfway point. Hmm. If they, I feel like the Daredevil series does the same thing. I feel like if you cut that two, three episodes out, just made it more concise. Yeah, it'd be a more solid show. There's definitely like these weird filler in the middle. Aye, and just sort of side stories that you don't care about that they drag on for ages. Definitely. Um, it's why I st- didn't, couldn't be bothered watching Luke Cage. And then when Iron Fist was like announced as <laughs> yeah. not being that great, I was like, fuck, am I going to watch <laughs> a, one of these shows that are not only too long, but like also bad? But uh, you feel like you have to like watch them just because you're like, oh, it's got all building up to something and you have to watch the bad ones even though... Yeah, to, that's it's how like, they trick you. Yeah. yeah, then I won't be able to follow along. Well, like, I don't know. I feel like the Defenders all... all uh, Will be like inviting for people who haven't watched the others. Yes, that would have to be, wouldn't it? Yeah. I like, but and that's only eight episodes long, so that. Oh. So that that is kind of is what I want the rest like, of yeah, the shows like to a be long like. Because yeah. even something like Netflix did Stranger Things last year, and Stranger Things feels so concise. It's yeah. just eight episodes, and that's all they needed. Eight episodes done. Awesome. But that feels Stranger Things feels like the first movie in a trilogy, like a good movie yeah. in a trilogy where they kind of tied everything the, up the Michael like Kelly it. of a trilogy <laughs> you might say yes um, that's a tangent we like tangents on this podcast we don't mind them um, yeah so it's starring um, I've already forgotten his name Ian Stecker. yeah so it's starring him uh, also Matt Smith's in it and um, Christina Hendricks Christina and Hendricks Saoirse Ronan Saoirse Ronan and um, fuck who was the last guy Oh, Ben Mendelsohn. Ben Mendelsohn. <laughs> I fucking blanked on his name. Really bizarre moment. I, I could see him because I could see him dancing. See dancing, yeah. Aye. Um, so the story of this is Lost River uh, is their, where they live. They're struggling. There's a family, a mother and two sons who are struggling economically to pay for the rent. So the mother... <laughs> goes to get a job uh, the recommended by the bank yeah, manager at a weird club to try and earn some money for the rent and agents of shield goes to steal <laughs> the copper back from a maniac matt smith that he tried to he stripped from some houses to try and get some money and so there's a vague myth of a, an underwater city in there somewhere it's set in like a a completely run down American town and all the houses are abandoned so he's running around stealing copper from houses but Matt Smith is like the local copper crime he a... lord or something oh I thought you were saying he was a copper oh no <laughs> oh like he was a cop I was like I no, missed copper, that entirely copper thief or something I um yeah so that that's the story um it's it's a bizarre story. It's it's loose. It's like yeah. keeps some things ambiguous. Um, the there's a, there is a whole myth of an underwater city 
that it's, it's tied with a curse. Yeah. So for some reason, Saoirse Ronan's character says that there's a curse on the town that was caused when this other town was flooded. She never explains how she knows that. But she says that if you bring something from the bottom of the lake to the top of, or bring it out of the lake, then you break the curse. But he doesn't believe that. Up until he just suddenly does. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. Um, I don't know what really to say about the plot. The plot is very... It's like, for his first start, it's like the actual... Like the the meat of the plot, there's not much to yeah, it. No. Like um, it's kind of just almost um, your two main characters, your the mother and the oldest son, are kind of just reacting to things almost. Yeah. And it's like this world that they're in. Then they kind of have to sort of navigate it in order to try and keep the house they want in a neighborhood no one else lives in because they're kind of grown attached to the house. Even um, though he kind of wants to get away at the same time, like his whole thing is he's building a car so that he can escape from the town. Oh, okay, so that's what the car was about. Yeah, because yeah. he wants to get away, but he doesn't want to leave his mum and his little brother. Hmm. But yeah, there's not. I was watch- when we were watching it that this time because I'd seen it before. I kept thinking that there's like nothing actually really happening. It's just like, oh, they're over here now. Now they're over here, and like hmm. scenes play out, and there's not even like clear goals for what anyone wants other than just uh, like I need to make money to pay the rent and that's kind of it hmm and then like there's two bad guys yeah there's Matt Smith and Ben Mendelsohn um Matt like Ben Mendelsohn's probably got a bigger role in this yeah um Matt Smith it's his accent's bizarre cause like maybe I can't I can almost can't tell if it's good because like I'm so used to goofy Matt Smith British accent yeah. that it's when he speaks, I'm like, is that a bad American accent? Or am I just free? Is my brain just freaking out? Cause I can't imagine <laughs> it coming out. I can't understand why it's coming out of his face. I didn't, I didn't notice the accent so much. I thought, that, I don't know. He was, I thought he was so like scene stealing the whole thing that he was, had such a presence. He in is. It, no, no, no. Like I um, don't underestimate. He, he's, um, his acting that. in this is, he's, like menacing like his yeah. character's meant to be menacing and he's yes he's menacing terrifying yeah like he has a presence um, he's somehow more scary than Ben Mendelsohn which is uh, saying a lot yeah that's saying a lot I saw a video of him recently uh, on a radio show they got him to the read out the yeah. uh, Lion King and like it was quite it's quite, yeah. it's quite yeah. really wow. <laughs> he's a scary guy uh, he's a very scary guy he's a great guy um so like Matt Smith, like I don't, I wouldn't dismiss his actor. No, like he, yeah, you're right. He steals every scene he's in. He's just this. He's he's. It's weird to first of all, because it's like obviously Matt Smith's biggest thing is being Doctor Who, yeah. and you, he's like, he's the exact opposite of Doctor Who in almost every single way. <laughs> his goofy, floppy hair and his, oh, what am I doing? Yeah, uh, running around attitude, completely replaced by a guy shaved entirely bald. And very like rigid and yeah, he kind of has like a neo-Nazi type thing yeah. about him a little bit. It's weird to think because like he is like there's a joke about it in Doctor Who about him being bold. In one scene, he's wearing a wig, and yeah. he's like, "Why did you shave shave your hair off? Because I was bored or something." It's weird to to, to sort of think that that this, this film is yeah. like influenced that to the point where a joke in Doctor Who is made because of the fact he had to go do this film. Didn't have to go do it. <laughs> he was forced uh, by Ryan Gosling. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to do a film because there's one scene where um, before Matt Smith regenerates, where um, in a dream sequence, Karen Gilligan's character comes back as Amy Pond, and like they're both stood there facing each other, and they're both wearing wigs, oh, which yeah, is really bizarre watching from it. Of she's the bold from Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy, and uh, Matt Smith is bold from this film, and like they're not. I think her wig wasn't the greatest. I think um, for so like you're just watching it and you're very aware this is two bold people, like <laughs> <laughs> who so generally don't associate as being bold. Um, they should have just played the scene without the wigs and just had to be bold. <laughs> and for some strange reason, Matt Smith remembers Amy Pond as bold <laughs> well, yeah. for some reason. Um, so you you think of him as such this goofy British person, and he plays entirely against type. Uh, the only thing that's um, that even like reminds me of slightly is when I don't know if you've ever seen he's in a deleted scene of In Bruges 
No, I don't think so. You have that's he's in. He plays um, Harry when he's younger. Ralph Fiennes' character. Because oh, uh, right. oh. uh, you know how, um, if you haven't seen In Bruges, like there's the whole backstory that um, Brendan Gleeson's character owes a debt to, yeah. to Ralph Fiennes because Ralph Fiennes killed the cop who killed his wife. That scene is in a deleted scene of him killing the cop. Oh. It's uh, it's Matt Smith that plays him, and it's really bizarre because like he only, he only speaks briefly, but when you speak, he's like fucking hell, yeah, he's he's actually <laughs> Harry because he just uh, he just it's it's almost like I I know why they didn't put in it because I like the simplicity of In Bruges having just three characters and just this one location and just them talking and I feel like a flashback would have been just yeah, a bit, yeah, a bit disruptive, much. but it's such a cool scene. Matt Smith is he just walks into a police station and shoots a cop, and it's kind of low tech because it wasn't finished. But like you were just like imagine if that scene was in it, yeah. it would be such a huge impact. But like it shouldn't have been in it. But like uh, it just it just made me think of it because he's like he's obviously paying like a sort of psychopath in that as well. Well, um, he has that kind of intensity even in the parts in, in Doctor Who when he's when he gets mad or when he like starts screaming at people. You can see he has that like crazy thing in mm. his eyes. So I guess it's like nice to see him just do that. Yeah. Yeah. But for but for like a full on role. Yeah. And he is. He's a, he's a, he's an intimidating character in both the way he's written and like the way he's um he's portrayed. Even down to his fucking jacket. <laughs> Just like it's golden a gold sequence or yeah. something. Yeah. It's really weird and he's bare chest for most of it with just this jacket on and he, he sits in a seat, it's like yeah. an armchair attached to the back of a of a, a car. Think Mr. Bean, but like more intimidating. <laughs> way he's, more intimidating he's just so weird. he's like kind of animalistic and he lives in a zoo so maybe that's like intentional yeah um, <laughs> he lives in a zoo he does live in a zoo <laughs> of course uh, and then there's Ben Middleton who's he's a bad guy as well he he like his character I felt was like far less consistent like he starts off you think he seems like quite nice hmm. and he's like trying to help her out and then suddenly he just goes all rapey and it's like ah he does go where did that come rapey from? strangely yeah. like because he starts off as kind of the straight face like he's just like I'm look I'm a bank manager and I'm going to be able to straight yeah you want to keep your flat you need one sorry if you want to keep your house you're going to need money yeah there you go and it seems like he's doing her a favor I just know. being like, a brutally honest about it yeah but he turns out he is he does he own it he owns it he, or he, he, yeah he, he says he starts them up whenever so he goes basically he goes around from town to town when these big foreclosures happen and he takes over the banks and he opens these clubs to give people like a way out of the, the, the yeah well to give through. presumably to give women a way out well I guess but then the people in the audience are in, they're enjoying it so he's mm. doing it for them as well I guess but also he's making money ah, like he says he's got a hustle on the side at one point because he opens he's he opens what you could describe as a seedy club but it's a very bizarre club because Everyone in it is actually quite conservatively dressed. Yeah, they never like get it's, naked or anything. Ah, it's not because I thought oh, it was going to be like a strip club yeah. or something. Because that would that would seem like the logical place to go with it. She's like, she's got to do a job she's not quite sure of. At first, I thought it was going to be just straight up prostitution, and then it was like at this club, and I was like, oh, is it like a strip club? And then like this, the the first thing you see is this woman walk down this uh, catwalk, uh, like of the of the club, and she's like. No, not even quite dancing it's just sort of just waving her, hands, waving her hands around and then someone comes behind her and like stabs her and stabs her it's like blood spurting everywhere and you're like oh my god what the Onto fuck like is this faces. Aye, and they're yeah. all laughing and clapping you're like what yeah. the fuck is this club there's some sort of blade shit I wonder what the hell is happening here where everyone's got this blood first I was like well this is a very like limited job you know it's a yeah. one time on um, but it turns out it's all fake and this the appeal of this club is these gory acts that they perform the the mother at one point uh, um, seemingly cuts her f- face up and then peels it off which happens in like look, it looks it doesn't look real but it doesn't look like it's something you could do in that kind of situation yeah so that like, sort of like you could do it with practical effects but I reckon you'd have to have a good amount yeah. of money for it and like, it does it doesn't look faked yeah, it's it's like it's said it's faked, but it's like very. It almost feels real. Yeah. So it's so that so that's the club, and they're sort of yeah. It's just sort of violence. It's just it's like yeah. There's even there's a there's this the thing the shell that they put so women go into. Yeah, I don't understand shell. what the shell was. So basically, the women get locked into the shell, so they're completely safe, and then the guys just come into the room and do whatever they want, so they can 
just do whatever they want in front of her or they can just like attack them and like punch the shell as if or like as if they're beating the woman but okay she's completely safe so that's like that's why ben mendelson goes in and dances i guess yes yeah. she can't stop him from doing it no no not that not that's yeah it's no, just like yeah. oh no you're strangely intimidating <laughs> um so it's all about like instead of it being sexual stuff it's all about violence or like yeah it's like aggression it's yeah. like a, it's a strip club for aggressive yeah. people without stripping yeah um it's it's very bizarre when you first come across it I, the shell i wasn't quite i kind of what you're saying i can't i guess i got i just didn't wasn't quite sure what the, the yeah, whole point of, it was. point of it was i guess to, to let that aggression out i think it's um, part of the whole thing of um being trapped as well and like being underwater because when she's in the shell it kind of looks like she's underwater like yeah she's through it so it's all it's all symbolism that's just something that i think is like really heavy-handed in the film is that like he's obviously had all these ideas for things that he's like this is symbolic of this and this is really cool imagery how do i make the story fit into that rather than like those symbols being organic coming from the story hmm. yeah it does feel like there's a lot of this is in here for for a metaphor yeah it's it like looks cool. hey what's this this is a metaphor oh what a metaphor yeah. i guess that's really deep when you think about it and there's a there's a lot of in it um uh, especially like stylistically yeah um it's also complete like the f- very first scene is like a montage that looks like something from a Terrence Malick film yeah and then it never goes back to that kind of stuff. it's all like home footage sort of of the family itself I'm sure some of the shots are even just like directly lifted from uh, the tree of life like her play so it's mum playing with the kids in the garden and the sun shining and it's like lens flares and stuff because the big thing about this film is like the the style like it's very very stylistic yeah Um, would you say over stylistic Probably, but then I would just say inconsistently stylistic because it like mm. it kind of looks like a Nicholas Winding Refn movie. Well, that, so it's obviously that's yeah. the thing you would think of most because yeah. of the fact that Ryan Gosling has it's done like his muse. Uh, he's, yeah. he's done a couple of his, um, but it's also got like a sort of David Lynch thing going on. And then there's also there's weird bits where there's a bit where the digger is like destroying a house. And it's just like GoPros attached to the digger. Yeah, I noticed that. Terrible, and it's like, why did you GoPro that footage is really bizarre. Like, I feel like it's it can get some amazing shots, but like you've got to use it right because yeah. otherwise it just cut. Like, it, it never works in film, like actual films. I don't think. No, because yeah, because you don't. You can, you can tell straight away yeah. when it's GoPro footage. It's if like you in the Hobbit when they're on the barrels even, and it's like even ugh. if you, I feel like even if you're not film technically minded like you don't really know what a gopro is the difference between a gopro and a like an imax camera you don't know the difference between them you're not sure you just watch films because you watch films i feel like there's something in the back of somebody's head that says there's something odd about that yeah. footage like why does that look different than like, I, the rest of the film why is that kind of weirdly maybe like i fished or yeah. something like that it's like yeah. it's it can be it can be really bizarre when it cuts in there's some because there's there's some stylistic choices. And I was I was halfway through and I was like, do I feel like this is over stylized? And then I was because like it I'm maybe the the way of thinking about it is like say you take someone like Wes Anderson who's very stylized, mm-hmm. like every shot is stylized to the way that Wes Anderson look. But like you accept that in his film. Um, and you don't ever feel like it's too much because it's just a Wes Anderson film. But watching this, there was some things that I was like, this just feels too much, almost like it isn't needed. So yeah. is it like, I'm trying to maybe think about it for over-stylized. Is it the difference between the word you use, consistency? So like the style isn't consistent enough or excess when it's not needed. For example, like you're saying that there's a lot of symbolism added to it when perhaps it could reel back a bit yeah well, well like well i don't know there's part because I, I was thinking about um a lot of the dialogue in the film is just like purely technical it's just like the actors or the characters just saying what they need to do to get a thing like then mm. no one ever just sits and has a conversation so all the feeling you get from the film kind of just comes through the shots which is actually pretty cool i think mm. so like there are some really like there'll just be a shot of like um christina Hendricks sitting in a car looking out a window and just the way the shot is set up and the lighting and everything just makes you feel what she's feeling and i think that's pretty impressive and doesn't actually happen that often in films 
Yeah, I can get behind that. I feel like the... But I think it, it does... It, it's overdone a lot of the time where it's like really heavy-handedly like... Aye. Sty- yeah, stylized and a bit, yeah, over the top. Because um, there's some stuff that really works. Like the home video section at the beginning, I think it does a really good job of just sort of get, getting like a vague feeling of this family. And you're like, yeah, without saying a, any specific lines of dialogue, you're like, this is a family. They're quite yeah. close. There's a, there's three of them. Um, he's, there's the older brother who really looks after the younger brother, and they they have like good time. They have like the nostalgia of this place um, that they want to stay in. Yeah, it's like good visual storytelling, hmm. which is like not necessarily dialogueless, but like without any really specific yeah. lines of dialogue. Yeah. I mean, there are there are bits of dialogue that are just like really clumsy and just like when uh, Saoirse Ronan tells him about the the town being underwater this town is like right next to the town where they live in and he spent his entire life there and somehow <laughs> doesn't know that this happened Aye. whereas she's like oh my grandpa died and when the flood happened or it's like, how do you not know about this <laughs> yeah how do you i feel like yeah it'd still be talked about yeah everyone would know about it especially because he's been there for yeah as you say quite a while yeah uh, i really liked the visual of the street lamps going into the water that was cool. it was really that cool was really cool it's just this bit where you walked past the lake and there's the it's clear like a, almost an just grass overgrowing onto a road and just these street lamps that just go right into the water and you're like, ah, so... Yeah. Without, again, without, like, without saying a word, it's like, yes, there is an underwater city. Yeah. Like, underwater city, it's not a myth, it's true, it's there. You don't need to say anything, it's just there in the vision. Well, there was something I was just... I went on the IMDb trivia page for it and um, when Ryan Gosling sent the, the idea of the film to the guy who did the music... The guy just texts him back saying "Dark Goonies," and it kind of has that feeling to it, where it's like yeah. he's trying to make this like it's kind of like an adventure film, but really dark. And I was thinking that's maybe why he avoided the sexual thing because kids can't watch that, or young people wouldn't watch that, or wouldn't think about that. Whereas like violence is somehow more acceptable because hmm. there's nothing, ever, there's never anything in it that's like disturbing in like, in like an adult way, apart from the. Cut off the face. Yeah, but that—that's what I mean. That's like a sort of physical, violent thing, isn't it? That a kid might actually watch and just be like, "Ooh." Whereas, like, if they watch someone get like stripping or being abused or something, that's like too dark. So he's made this like dark kids film that isn't really for kids. So it's kind of like you watch it and you're like, it feels like you're watching something like The Goonies, but like a fucked up version of it. The music's pretty cool. I thought the soundtrack was really cool. The soundtrack is really cool. It goes, yeah, it goes between like the like the actual score, and then there's some like some really bizarre choices of songs. Yeah. Ben Mendelsohn sings. <laughs> he sings. Like there's a bit like I feel like I shouldn't be surprised because he cut, he walks up to the stage of a club, grabs a mic, and then starts to sing. But like the whole sequence, he was like he walks up and he's being introduced. He's like, "Come up here, Dave. Come up here. Oh yeah." Ooh. And he comes up and he grabs the mic uh, and he starts singing and I was like fuck I wasn't expecting that of <laughs> all the things so that happen I, I like I was like oh, I don't I, have we ever seen Ben Mendelsohn singing anything else I'm not I'm not sure I haven't no because he sings <laughs> and he dance he sings, both of them I wasn't expecting and both of them were pretty disturbing aye but both of them were pretty good like yeah. he's a pretty good singer he was a good singer I would I would go out and find that song and I would download it just because Ben Mendelsohn. <laughs> yeah. I did that the other day um, after I came out of Baby Driver. Uh-huh. Uh, I got I wanted the song where Kevin Spacey speaks in it and it remix of um, Is He Retarded Me and Fair oh, Slow yeah. Is He Slow. Yeah. I really wanted it just because I really like Kevin Spacey. I'm a big Kevin Spacey fan. <laughs> you just like his voice. I just like his voice is playing. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. I'll have that. He does sing though. Like Kevin Spacey yeah, sing, has yeah. like he does sing but even just his talking voice like it'd be cool if someone took that sort of took remixes of like House of Card monologues that's that will definitely be a thing oh. you just need to search for that oh god that would be awesome <laughs> wonder if it is there are like remixes of um, Carl Sagan just talking and stuff about the universe turned into music so I'm sure that exists. that's cool as well I just like I just love House of Cards I've not seen season 5 yet that's a real that's a real real ta- tangent but like <laughs> it was it was that sort of some, even just something as simple as like Kevin Spe- uh, Spacey talking like in his sort of the, just in his acting sort of way um, in that distinctive way he's able to do it yeah 
Uh, just the same with Ben Mendelsohn. I was like, oh my god, he fucking sings. Yeah. That's awesome. It's so unexpected. It's just like, whoa. Yeah. I'm a big fan. Um, but overall, the score's really, uh, the score's really good. Like, uh, it's um, just, it's it helps add to the atmosphere. Yeah. It's, it definitely, I felt it was like David Lynchy. It felt like Twin Peaks a lot of the time. Hmm. Like, all the weird, eerie sort of sounds just hanging on for ages and ages. It kind of has a Twin Peaks feel to it, the film as well. Yeah. Even though the, there's a sort of, like, I guess there's a mystery, but it's not, like, the mystery is not really a focus of the film. It's such a vague mystery as well. That's almost immediately answered. Oh, yeah, there's a town on the lake. No, there isn't. Oh, there is. <laughs> yeah, because, like, he watches the film and it's the prehistoric park is the main thing that it's brought up. There's dinosaurs. There's dinosaurs. That's what he brings back yeah. up. The thing he needs to stop the curse. The curse is another thing that just sort of... Yeah. It's just a thing. But there's... there's At the end, when he brings up the dinosaurs, so he goes down and saws off this, like, fake dinosaur's head and brings it up, and then when he comes back on, all the lamps come on. Yeah. And there's no way that they could still be working. So there is like a tiny little bit of magic. To yeah, that. like a like a small supernatural element yeah. to it. That like um, maybe the curse was real, and then I, as soon as he comes out of like the lake, everything does change, and all the bad things are resolved. Not necessarily in like the best way, but there yeah. is kind of a happy ending. Because he does, he because like as I say, he like he strips uh, houses in the neighborhood of Copper, the abandoned houses, and then. Matt Smith's character, who's named Bully in this, comes along, takes the copper, and he goes to steal it back. So, Bully is kind of—he that's his thing. He's doing throughout this film. He's like he's looking for the main character, uh, even so, though he mustn't know where he lives. He's never. I yeah. It, there's not many people in the neighborhood. Yeah, no. <laughs> this is just like look for the door that's still locked and has <laughs> lights behind it. Um, Bones. That's the main character. Bones. Name, Bones. Yeah. So Bully is looking for Bones and. Uh, also, we haven't mentioned the fact that at one point, Bully just cuts off someone's lips. Yeah! Well, he does a couple of things, doesn't he? Because he's a maniac, he's unhinged. But, like, they do manage to do a good job. Like, it's so so many maniacs in films now. Because maniacs are fun! How yeah. fun are maniacs oh. in a film? Like It's like the Joker, isn't like it? Like the Joker, all like, how, how are you going to recreate Heath Ledger's Joker? Um... And Matt Smith, obviously, his performance helps a lot, but just some of the actions are so specifically unique. Yeah. Like, he, there's a... His friend, for some strange reason, he cuts the lips off of his friend. Because... Face, who walks around just with a, this really weird open mouth. And because he doesn't have any lips, he's quite often drooling. And so he's, he's very monstrous. Like, he's yeah. very... He's, like the... the evil henchman isn't he ah he's almost he's almost joker like himself because he's so so many teeth it's almost like he's smiling yeah. and he's drooling and it's bizarre sequence he just he just sort of leans over like it's not even it cuts away before anything you see anything profoundly violent but he just leans over his friend takes some scissors and starts which I feel like watching I was like I'm not not an expert of cutting people's lips off. Yeah, of scissors. Sure I've always confessed sure it's this. more difficult than that. It just seems a lot. He seems to make it really. Maybe it's because I'm used to household scissors, which aren't very sharp. But I'm not sure how many sharp. Proper face cutting scissors. I, I'm, I'm out of face cutting scissors. I've you know I've moved to my new flat. The face cutting scissors was like it's on the low end of the list of things I need for it. Left those behind. Uh, well, like you can't take everything, can you? <laughs> Um, but there's also the guy just doesn't really resist. Like he just sits there and takes it. Yeah. And then later on when. I'd um, resist even a little bit, yeah. even if I liked so the guy. You saw someone coming at you with scissors. Even if I wanted to lose my lips, <laughs> yeah. I would still resist a bit. The same thing happens later on, though. He um, cuts off Saoirse Ronan's character, whose name is Rat, because she because she has a rat. Because she has a rat. I guess like weird logic. The but... the symbolism in like in their names is that they all have kind of bizarre, like just simple, daft, not even real names. The only one who does have a real name. Is the rat? So I guess there's some symbolism. And Dave. Oh, and Dave. Just called Dave. Dave's a rat. So the names. Well, what's uh, the mum's called Billy? Billy, yeah. Billy Bones. Billy never, Bones. Billy Bones. I never realised. Is so that Billy, yeah? That's a pirate, isn't it? Bones. Yeah. Billy Bones. But then the other son is called Frankie. Oh yeah. I take back my symbolism. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I fucked it up. <laughs> but bully cuts off rat's rat's head. And she just doesn't really do anything to stop it. She just, she's kind of like, oh no, and he does it, and it's like, oh, it's a whole prolonged sequence of like, have you got your rat in there? Yeah, and it's bring it out. Let's have a look at it. Can I touch it? 
Yeah. Oh, oh no, it's just the maniac who cuts people's lips off. Of yeah. course he's going to be okay with your rat. It turns out he's a gentle soul inside when it comes to rats. That's actually probably the only sexual bit in the film, I think, when he touches it and he's like, has anyone ever touched your rat before? I'm like, right. I don't know, in America, do they use that? Do they use the word rat as like a... Because I'm sure that's a thing, isn't it? Like, I, I've never heard of that euphemism. I'm sure that is a euphemism. A horrible one. Ah, a very horrible one. A but rat. I, yeah. <laughs> But That's he's like, awful. He's even so touching, demeaning. He, she's holding it down like fairly low, and he's just like touching it. And it's like weird. Ah, it's very, very like it's yeah, Intrusive. aggressively sexual. Yeah. Um, and then he cuts off the rat's head um, with his lip cutting scissors. So sharp. He keeps him so. <laughs> you got to give him credit <laughs> where credit's <laughs> due. So he keeps sharp. his scissors really sharp. Um, I mean, did you like it? I like I must admit I'm always like I must I'm I'm a sucker for a talky film I'm all I am kind of a sucker for him I I do like stylized films as um like a um stylized films I do find and I find them really interesting to watch um especially stuff like that especially when you're able to tell that sort of story it's um I do just think well sometimes where it is too much I feel like Ryan Gosling could have done a lot more with maybe just a bit less sometimes. Yeah. And it's like, it's a, it is, I feel like it's a good film. And I know it got panned and stuff, but I was, I was watching it and I was like, I don't feel that there's anything that this art film does. The other ones that don't. don't. Like even something like Neon Demon. Yeah. I feel like this isn't that far off of yeah. Neon Demon. But it's because it's Ryan Gosling. Everyone's like, oh, he's trying really hard to be cool and arty. And it's like, uh, maybe he is, but... If someone else had made this film, I feel like people would have liked it. Ah, well, uh, Nicholas... Oh, fucking, what's his second name? Nicholas Linher? No, Nicholas Winding Refn. Winding Refn. Who am I thinking of? Nicholas Winding Refn is like, even he, like, if you were, like, not into art films, you would come, like, watch his films and probably think he's trying too hard to be, like... Yeah. Pre- yeah. Like, cool. Like, especially there's a like level of pretentiousness, especially when you go into art directors, there is a level of pretentiousness. You're not going to get away from that. Yeah. Um... And Ryan Gosling has that, and it's almost like maybe his, um, you're like his fame is the thing that brings it. I think like, a little bit. Like I think he probably didn't put himself into the film to try and avoid that kind of thing of like hmm. the actor turning director and trying to be like cool. But and then it, it kind of comes across like he's trying too hard to be taken as a serious filmmaker. Yeah, but like if like yeah if maybe like he obviously wouldn't have been able to because like his name would have like sold it so much but if he'd done it under like a pseudonym or something like that like if probably he, would have been received better yeah. yeah like this all new up and coming director and it's like oh but the thing that cool is just reveal the curtain it's like ah Brian Gosling the whole time and then something was like oh actually uh, it, was, it wasn't that great <laughs> um yeah so like it would, it's definitely like the first time I watched it I think I liked it more this time like the, the those little the fact that it's really slow even though it's really short yeah and like there's not really a lot of building up to anything like matt smith probably only has like three scenes in it mm, he doesn't have a lot he doesn't have yeah. a lot of time for it yeah. uh in the film and that's kind of the same with most of the characters it just kind of cuts from them doing one thing and like so uh, bones becomes friends with rat like really quickly and then they're just hanging out together all the time and it's mm. like kind of just implies that they're into each other or that there's romance there but nothing actually ever happens yeah because it's kind of got this he does he does he not ask if i leave would you come with me or something like yeah. that and he's like yeah and it's like for what for why yeah for why <laughs> like come from all this seems to happen if you guys have watched tv together yeah. like you don't seem to have any sort of connection for anything um don't even know what couldn't even tell you what really defines rat as a character apart from the fact she has a rat and yeah and she she lives with her grandmother who's crazy and spends her whole time just watching her wedding video on repeat mm. and it, but it's like so that do, do you spoil can i spoil yeah we spoil yeah. so in the end um when bones takes the dinosaur head up he uses the dinosaur head to kill matt smith's character and at the same time his mum stabs Ben Mendelsohn's character in the ear with a real knife or a fake knife. I'm not really sure. Aye. Enough to... Because he's still alive him. after it, yeah. And so they all run away. But now the only reason they can run away now is because at the same time as all that's happening, Face burns down Rat's house, which kills her grandmother. 
so in the end it's happy for her because her grandma dies and she's like now free cuts to the go ties and, yeah which is kind of Boom. grim <laughs> and then they all drive off together at the end with a tack this nice taxi driver who's the weirdest character in the film because like they burn down the house but that that's like um foreshadowed throughout the whole thing yeah because there's always these burning houses yeah it keeps cutting to a burning house and i don't understand why because it feels like what it's trying to do is suggest that it's their house yeah but it's not even yeah it's not bill uh bones's house is it it's no but like is it not suggesting it's bones's house Oh, the, yeah, when it's foreshadowing. Like, when it's foreshadowing, it's yeah, like, I think so. oh, is this what, like, it's supposed to be like, oh, this is what's going to happen to Bones' house in the future. Never been, maybe it's because it's overused. It's never, it very rarely works just showing the future scene. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. Because yeah. it almost feels cheating. There's a thing that um, Dan Harmon, uh, creative communities against. He's always, a, he doesn't like when films start in the middle and then go what happened two weeks earlier how did we get here it's such a it's almost like a cheap way to like uh to to get you interested yeah what's happening all these confusing things let's explain it i um this yeah it almost feels a bit cheap to just then hint these things unless you have some sort of purpose which i don't really feel like had a purpose for no because it doesn't end up the whole thing is about how they want to hold on to their house and then in the end rat's house burns down and they all leave so it's like why do they stop do they just stop caring about the house now Aye. it doesn't yeah it's weird it doesn't make any it's not like a a nice like tying up there it's just, no they just run away because like what 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 is like what is the thing they've learned because obviously characters have the sort of the need to, to by the end of the film there's something they need to have done yeah, they haven't learned anything like what they? they learned like have, have, like is it to let go of sentimentality um, because I guess they do let go of sentimentality but why you don't really know uh, is it realising that sentimentality is a, like is not always worth the trials that she goes through like she um, the mother Billy decides that like the job that she was doing is not worth keeping this old house for the yeah. sentimental use you could argue that but even then like she almost resolves the issue I suppose she doesn't she stabs the banker in the ear that's not going to keep the house very well <laughs> um yeah so i guess like but there's no there's not like a clear journey for any of them to get to a point where they're then like we're going away because we're happy because we, we've solved all these issues right. everyone's got something that's tying them down well i feel like like the thing the issue they had like is hinted is the curse the curse is the issue yeah and they've solved the curse according to the curse yeah <laughs> so surely it's worth staying because guys we've solved the curse we're gonna be fine now yeah the fucking the curse is lifted the curse is what the, the only solution for them is to just leave yeah that's the, they just have but to then get that, out of the place that would have that would have stopped the curse anyway yeah so you could have just done that at the beginning but of the then film. there is the, the very first time you see Bones he's talking to some guy who's leaving and he's like you gotta get out of here man <laughs> so maybe that's what it was all about just like him getting to the point where he actually leaves and stops making up excuses for like we've mm. got to fix the car because everyone's constantly asking him like why are you why are you still here why don't you just leave and then eventually he does yeah he I guess, takes his family with him uh, it's like almost what it sounds weird because like everything's pointless and every like but like in special terms of films all films are pointless but like what is the point of the film like what is sort of what is it trying mm. to do like what's it trying to say it feels a bit unclear even though you understand the story and it uses all these stylistic elements to to give you the story but like at the end what's it yeah what's it actually saying about anything all right what's 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 its point it's like i get it film what's your point poverty is bad oh no (laughs) better take down all these posters (laughs) saying poverty's good i've watched lost river i forgot yeah, I don't know what it's meant to be. Is it, that's why it's like there is a bit of just overindulgence and style hmm. without any kind of substance to it. Yeah, there's, I don't know what it's trying to say at all. No. Maybe I'm not smart enough to know. Yeah, that's one of the things about art films. Yeah, like, yeah, there's always the fear for about the emperor's clothes and all of that. Yeah. Um, like, sometimes you're like, if I just missed it. 
because you can you can watch art films and go was that just nonsense like something like enemy you watch that and you're like was that just nonsense <laughs> and then you actually some watch some videos that like try and break it down you're like all right maybe yeah. yeah maybe i can see what it's doing that's really cool um and then you see something like this you know i wonder if there's a breakdown video video for lost river I'm not sure what they would break yeah, down yeah i don't know and like maybe it is just a dumb film and maybe ryan gosling's just not a very good writer so i like, i feel like you're trying to find meaning where there isn't any maybe it would all maybe be better off if he was given a script maybe ryan gosling would be a good director if he was given one like if someone's like here's a solid script direct it yeah and you wouldn't have to because I, I thought like is that the, the visuals were good like good because there's a lot of directors that do fall like especially when you see it in student films like um the the reverse engineer this is like this is the scene i want so now i have to write this, yeah. the, the the um film that goes with that scene mind you saying that earlier this week i watched an interview with edgar Wright, who apparently did the same thing for baby driver just heard a song was like i want to do a car chase of this now i write the film around yeah. it apparently some people are talented enough to get away from that. <laughs> so fuck you edgar Wright, for being so talented um but maybe that's like the problem with Ryan Gosling. Maybe he needs like a script thrown at him and go, there's a good script, sort that out. And then you can go, oh yeah, and then I could use this visual and I could use this visual. Yeah. And like, maybe that would be the best. Because Ed, so Edgar Wright's stories are all so tightly written as well. And like uh, everything comes together in the end, whereas nothing really came together in any of this film. No. And like thinking about it now, it was basically just a bunch of little short films like stuck together. Like the story of his mum the story of Rat and the story of Matt Smith's character and the story of him were all kind of like separate things yeah. and they all had conclusions at the same time I guess because Matt Smith's story has nothing to do with the Men- Ben Mendelsohn one like nothing not to do even, with it yeah, like, not, not even remotely no so it's kind of like two films at once hmm. there's, yeah there's too, many, there's too much going on in it as well there's too many characters with too many stories and none of them get enough time to actually like go anywhere Okay, so the the main thing about this is Ryan Gosling directed it, uh, actor to director, who is um, who is first of all probably your favourite direct actor turned director. Um, you can start off with who's noteworthy because who can even remember off the top of your head? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Mel Gibson's a good director. Yeah, he is a good director. I've not seen Hacksaw Ridge though. I must admit. Uh, that that movie is weird, and I didn't think it was his best. But like, yeah, yeah. what's his best? Apocalypto. I was knew you were gonna say Apocalypto. <laughs> yeah. I feel that like movie's that's... awesome. Ah, that movie is awesome. Um, because he did Braveheart as well. Braveheart. Braveheart. We're in Scotland. Braveheart's a good movie Aye. if you ignore all the historical nonsense. Aye. And just watch it as like a fantasy medieval film. It's good. Aye. Um, exactly. There's so many historic films that are just nonsense. So yeah, that one gets a lot of grief. Aye, that one. But guess because we're in Scotland, we're like, that's not how it was down. Yeah, I suppose um, most people don't care. Aye. Um, no, he's a he's a very good one. Um, no, I'm just like, who else is there? It's Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. He he's got some good films. I really like Unforgiven. Unforgiven I feel like amazing. he that was though the only problem with it is like, not the problem. Like it's the the only thing about his directing career that you would you, you highlight Unforgiven. He's almost the person who was made to make. Unforgiven. Yeah, yeah. Like, like who else would make yeah. it? Yeah, like that. He the anti Western after all of those years of doing them. Like of course he did. He did yeah. Unforgiven. What? Like, what else was he gonna do? Yeah. Uh, like, what other films? Do you, is there any other Clint Eastwood films that you find noteworthy that are really good? Uh, the Outlaw Josie Wales is really good. That's another western. I've not seen that one actually. Um, I think his recent films haven't been very good. I thought Changeling was pretty good, but no, not really. I know Scott wants to do an episode on Sally. I've not seen Sally, but I know he wants to do an episode on it. Didn't he hate it? I feel like he, he did. <laughs> yeah, probably. Spoilers for a future episode. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't worry about it. Um, Denzel Washington, I think, is a pretty good director. Oh, what did he direct? Um, he did. He did Fences recently. Oh, did he do? I didn't know he directed Fences. Yeah, he directed it, and he also did The Great Debaters, which I liked. Okay, they're quite forgettable films, but I'm just struggling to think of actors who did Yeah, that's. <laughs> Definitely thought there was a lot more than there actually are. Woody Allen, I guess? Yeah, yeah, because he, he started off as an actor. He's a good actor-director. Um, he definitely used to be. Not sure. Yeah, yeah like he's... Well, he, he's, every, he's doing he's, what he loves. I think the thing is, when you look at his career, you look back and it's like 
40 or 50 years of films and you're like oh there's so many oh, good ones in the past yeah you you but, cherry pick you yeah, cherry pick exactly. the, the best ones because he, he makes a film literally every year <clears throat> so you, when you condense it down in like 10 years look back and you're like oh he made blue jasmine midnight in paris and there was another good one that he made recently <clears throat> all within the same few years it's like he Aye. also made a bunch of shit ones so i he's, he's a good one he's he's got his style he's got his he's got his um yeah what he wants to do you definitely know when you're watching one of his films, which I think a lot of actor direct actors turned directors don't have like a clear style. style or vision. They're just like, I want to be a director, and then they come up with some something to fit that. Yeah, Woody Allen's very distinctive, almost not in a in a like a in a visually stylistic way though. He's oh, he's like, not visual at all though. Is he? He's just uh, well, like the he, writing. He's because um, his his earlier films had like what's his name, Prince of Darkness. The cinematographer from yeah, the fucking the Godfather, Godfather guy. Yeah. like he—that's yeah. what makes his films quite a, spe- a few of his films like just so visually stunning. Um, but he like his his style does come along in his like the way he writes and the way like um, yeah, but the way he writes and the way he like creates stories and stuff. And it's very obvious even just by hearing. Yeah, even the way the actors all start to speak like uh, him. Which I don't know if they just do that because he's there or because it comes through in the way that he writes. Like probably comes through in the way. Well, maybe there's both. It's probably the influence of, like, a Woody Allen film, especially if you do one now. Yeah, you know you've what seen, you're. Yeah, you've yeah, seen so many other ones. You know what to expect. Um, <clears throat> this is a bizarre question. See if there's any answer for that. Is there any actors you would like to see direct a film? Hmm. That is a bizarre question. I don't know. Because there's one that comes to mind, and like, because uh, it's very talking about um, his role in his in his superhero films that he likes to do. He likes to do a few superhero films, Chris Evans, but like he's talked to a lot about quitting them because he wants to be a he, director. He did direct a film though, didn't he? Last year, did like he? A few years, he directed some. It was like a little romantic comedy thing, like a really small budget thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd like to see him do things. Because whenever you listen to interviews with him, he just sounds like he hates his life, and he's just like, <laughs> "I don't want to be Captain America. I want to be an artist." That's a it's quite a, quite a thing. I'd like to Captain s- America. Yeah, but he just doesn't. He's never wanted to. Ah, uh, he was always a like six picture deal and stuff. And I feel like he's he's gonna do the second Avengers part, Infinity War. I don't know, <laughs> yeah, the fourth one or whatever. He's gonna do it almost reluctantly. Yeah. Um, and then he's free. Then he's free. Then he's free to do. And I was just, I just thought, I just want like, it's bizarre because trying to think, Chris Evans in many films, like even, even like more on a more independent scale, I can't really think of many. Yeah, my I always head. think of like Sunshine. And he's in yeah, Push he's in as Sunshine. well, which is like a Push is a bizarre film. I would, Not many people talk about. Push. I would like. To, I, if I thought about it in advance, I probably would have done this about Push. I think I have that I on DVD. Quite like if Push. this technically goes wrong, we'll do Push. <laughs> we'll come back and Push. I'll probably have more to say about that movie. Um, yeah, I, I, I saw Push a very long time ago. I was a, a teenager, and I think at the time, and like I remember enjoying it. I liked it when I watched it. Originally. I feel like I'll probably go back to it, and it might yeah, not be any I watched, good. Uh, my mum was watching it recently when I was visiting home, and I watched part of it, and I was like, ooh... This is yeah. not what I remember it being. We, but it does have cool... There's cool elements to it. The whole thing of them, like, a superhero movie set in Hong Kong, like, before yeah. China was even giving Hollywood all this money. So it was, like, authentic, like, China. It was cool. Yeah, it's like... Next time you come on, we'll do we'll do Push. <laughs> That'd be fascinating. It's one of those films I forget exists. Because it's like a superhero film. And, like, superhero films are all the rage right now. And there's Push that's out there. It was Just a superhero film it. before superhero films were huge. Yeah. It was like after, well, after Spider-Man 3, I guess. Mm. Something like that. So, uh, yeah, it was just, it was fascinating, the idea of just Chris Evans. Like, I couldn't, I wasn't, because, like, he does all these films, but he seems to do a lot of blockbuster films. And, like, they, what, what any sort of traits he would have in them, were, uh, like, would be part of the script and the directing and stuff. So he was trying to find something that was smaller, though he could express maybe some sort of, like a realistic in, you know, I, almost individuality even yeah. of like but what Chris Evans could do and then applying that individuality and thinking what would that look like as a director because he'd like, be better at that because he's almost like too handsome and perfect to be like a believable 
leading every man, man in it. Yeah, right. every man. In the, like, he's too good looking, isn't he? He's That's his problem. <laughs> he's too good looking and too, he's like too all-American. Like, right. You don't watch that film, be, you're never going to watch him and be like, I can relate to that guy. It's always like, he's he's better than me, isn't he? Right. Look at him. You can lift more things than I can. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my problem as well. Because um, I even like, if you were to say um, someone maybe more individualized, like if Michael Sarah turned around and was like, "I'm going to direct a film," you kind of almost have a. He wants to and has directed a couple of short films. That has he on YouTube? Yeah. Uh, you kind of almost expect like you'd almost have this thing that you would expect it to be like because you know Michael yeah. Sarah has a yeah. personality. Yeah. Which is what I was thinking with Chris Evans is like interesting. Is like what would that. Because what is his personality? Like, yeah. what is his individual? Like, aside from the blockbuster films, what is his sort of individual personality? Yeah, because when you think of people like um, Amy Poehler and Tina Fey, their films are basically like them. Yeah, you know, and their shows are them. They come through. Woody Allen again? Yeah. Um, the same. Uh, even even Mel Gibson and Clint Eastwood have like masculinity. Yeah. Um, to prove and. Um, stuff like that so like even even that comes through in their films like themes of masculinity and stuff like that oh it's just fascinating to think racism bigotry just a bit just a little bit just a sprinkle you know give it some spice yeah it'd be interesting to see like what these people would yeah build out of their own like personalities from what we know of them I guess Hmm. my personal favourite would be Donald Glover he wants to direct yeah he will though like Atlanta is amazing Uh, I like Atlanta He'll, get, he'll be making movies. He's a he's an actor who would be cool to do to to direct a few things. Bizarre question, but there is there's a few actors out there who want to do it. Yeah, I mean, um, I was reading a Tom Holland interview, and he says that's what he wants to do. He wants to do directing at some yeah, point eventually. Be bizarre, but you know, like, he's gonna go wherever he wants to go, though, isn't he? Everyone loves him. I well, he's he's goofy enough. He's kind of got that leading man goofiness about yeah. him. Have you seen Spider-Man yet? No. I saw it yesterday. Me and Scott saw it yesterday. What? Me and Scott saw it yesterday. This is a second opinion exclusive. We saw it yesterday. Uh, (laughs) Me and Scott were on Monday either going to see that or... What's that? It it comes at night or something? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess we're seeing that. (laughs) Oh, this Monday? Yeah. Oh, I see. I thought you meant last Monday. Spider-Man wasn't out. Um, we've seen Spider-Man I hate to tell you (laughs) you might see it twice I'm actually not that fussed about it I kind of stopped caring I feel like I've been hit over the head too many times with Spider-Man in the past few months Hmm. everywhere you look right now it's Tom Holland's face his goofy face it's like I don't care Uh, I I was super excited for it about this time last year and then like the trailers came out and like uh, the trailers just reveal far too much And um, I kind of like after a while, I was like, I feel like I've seen the film, uh-huh. but then I did get a bit buzzed for it. I was kind of like, because I fucking love Spider Man. I have so much um, like nostalgia for Spider Man. I, I, I when I was a kid, I played the games, I watched the cartoons, I fucking love the Sam Raimi films. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna have a Spider Man film. And this one feels like it might be even at least sort of enjoyable. Yeah. Like, although I didn't mind Amazing Spider Man too. I really didn't like either of those films. No, see, I think they have dumb great moments. Because I was talking about this, right? Because like um, the Tom Holland film, I think is fun. It's very fun. Uh, me and Scott were kind of agreeing with this, but we were kind of like we were sat in a pub afterwards and we were just talking about. It. We we're just like, it's missing something, though, isn't it? It's missing. What it's missing is like heft. It's missing like a substance. Because like. Like I don't want, I don't necessarily want there to every Spider-Man film to have a dramatic tragedy. Yeah, but like that's part of what makes him. Yeah, he's he's a character driven by guilt, and like it's a shame not to because like there's no sort of real like heft in this at all. There's no sort of there's uh, because like they didn't want to do the Uncle Ben story again. Yeah, which is fine. I understand that we've seen it twice. But I feel like even as much you can say what you like about Amazing Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man 2, I feel like I had great moments. And one of my favorite moments is um, in Amazing Spider-Man, he's fighting the lizard on the bridge. And the lizard is tossing all these cars and Spider-Man's catching them with his webs. And then like he has this crossroads where like the lizard's about to jump away. He needs to chase after the lizard. But there's this guy who's sh- like he's screaming because his kid is in one of the cars. So Spider-Man's like, I'll go save the kid. So he jumps down to the car, he gives the kid the mask, and um, 
he like he talks to the kid and he's like kind of calm him down and uh, the car collapses he saves the kid and brings him up to the dad and the dad's like oh thank you so much I don't know what I've, what I've done and he's all like that and like it's it's just an amazing just moment of writing where but you... that, that also happens in the Tobey Maguire one I felt like they just stole that scene that specific also scene also on a bridge yeah like there's a bit where um, well, what, what happens the Green Goblin holds like a bus full of people on one side of the bridge and MJ on the other and he drops them at the same time and Spider-Man has to choose between MJ no but it's not it's not the um, it's almost not the the choosing bit that I found really good what I found really good is that, that like Spider-Man obviously wears a mask so you've got an actor with a mask who's looking at this um, father and this um, uh, kid and Spider-Man doesn't really say anything He's, I think he has a vague dialogue at that point that specific moment where he saved he gives the kid back to the father doesn't really he has kind of some vague dialogue nothing concrete uh-huh. uh, so he isn't really speaking he has no facial expression but the whole story of that moment you know he realizes this is what he's got to do at this point he has to save lives he's given the kid back to the father he saved the kid and he's like doesn't matter what happens he has to save lives and you understand that without any sort of yeah yeah that's huge dialogue and it was like moments like that and like you felt the I feel like in that just that one small moment in a oh, really mediocre film that <laughs> one small moment you were like yeah I can um that that I can feel the weight of what he that responsibility he feels he has and in the Tom Holland one I just don't feel you feel that well I mean obviously I haven't seen it but from what I gathered about it, it's all just about him wanting to be an Avenger. And it's like, the whole thing of Spider-Man is that he feels like he has to do this, even though he doesn't really want to. And yeah. Like, he's constantly having to choose between having a normal life and being this hero. Whereas, from what, yeah, the trailers are for this new one, it's like making out like, it's really hard having to hide the fact that you're a superhero. Like, oh, boo-hoo. Mm. Like, it's, there's it's not a lot to care about there, is there? Uh, it's fun. It just doesn't have that. And it's, as I said, like, for what you what you could say about the Amazing Spider-Man film, I feel like at least they had heft. You felt, you felt like, some of the emotional weight of it. Um, even something as simple as Gwen dying in the second one is like, you feel like you feel it. Mm. Especially because Emma Stone's the best part yeah. of those films. Yeah. yeah, well, that's been over an hour. <laughs> for an hour. That was a very... Just a Spider-Man chat. Yeah. Well, like, I feel like we weren't going to do a Spider-Man episode, um, but, like, it was a nice tangent. We we were trying not to do too many superhero ones because it's, like, a lot. Yeah, a there's lot. always so much content. That's why I thought this um, Lost River would be interesting because I don't imagine a lot of people actually talk about it because no, no. one actually... Why would you care about it? Like, No, I quite like... We have a very... Like, quite varied films on the podcast. Um, Gremlins 2 was last time. Before that was Maximum Overdrive. Um, we do a couple. I think we've done Guardians, we've done Guardians of the Galaxy two this year, so we've got a superhero film in. But apart from that, we'll like, just whatever takes our fancy, new, old, whatever. Power Rangers. We did Power Rangers. <laughs> what, uh, the new one. Yeah, we did the new one. How Go and that? listen to it, mate. Go and listen to the <laughs> podcast you're on at some point. <laughs> I don't have time to listen to podcasts. Maybe you'll, you'll tell people, is like, what did you do, Michael? I went on a podcast. What podcast? Oh, the name's on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> Something onions. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. That's, uh, that's us. Um, say hi to Scott. Hi, Scott. Hi, Scott. Um, oh. This is the first in the Scott Free trilogy. Um, we'll, we'll see if the second part Empire Strikes Back the first part <laughs> or whether better. it's the Hangover Part 2 ooh, ooh. Ooh, which is the Empire Strikes Back or the Hangover Part well, 2 well I'm hungover right now so let's go with that this could be yeah, the Hangover 1 well, the Hangover 1 is the best one of that trilogy well I've not seen the third one but I just presume the yeah, first one's the best yeah. one I didn't watch any of the second we, uh, we have a we have a sign off on this show um, it's Eat Your J.K. Simmons which is just conveniently just to just because apparently with that niche it's from it's a reference to an episode we didn't actually release <laughs> so even if you are do listen to the podcast all of them you won't get this reference you won't get the, well we've explained it a couple of times on the podcast what happened is there was an episode where we were talking about the justice league news and then like we didn't release it in time and it felt it was it started just ended up being irrelevant because it was news that was passed uh-huh. and uh, i told scott that the yellow m&m is played by uh, jk simmons <laughs> what what in the adverts yeah what yeah it's J.K. Simmons 
Oh, that's so weird. It is weird. It's very weird. And the first 100,000 times you watch an Eminem advert, it's really weird. But after a while, I think you start to hear it. Because the other one is Billy West, which you can hear immediately. Yeah. That's so obvious. But the yellow one's J.K. Simmons. That is so strange. <laughs> it shocked uh, Scott so much. Bit of trivia. <laughs> ah, so it's it's because and that's that's what the sign off. It's because of that tri- trivia. Because sometimes pieces of trivia can change your mind, <laughs> change your whole world. J.K. Simmons was the yellow M&M the whole time. Oh my god, that's so, the best part of this podcast so far. <laughs> thanks. In the episode we didn't release. That's it. So. Get us next time. Uh, get me next. Uh, at least me next time. We'll see who the guest is. I don't know yet. We'll keep uh, keep us on our toes. So, yep. Eat your J.K. Simmons. <laughs> say it. Oh, I have to say it. Yeah. Eat your J.K. Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> no. I thought you were doing. Come back, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> we both do it. <laughs>